so much for the intro. I'm just excited off of that worship that we just had. Even still, praise God. Well, as you know, most of, most of you know, I'm Ian. I co-lead with my wife, the youth group. And we are just so excited to be here with you today. As you know as well, the pastors are away for a much-needed time of rest. Can we just take a second to give it up for the pastors, for all that they do? Literally, they put their heart and their soul into this church. They love the things of the Lord, and they love each and every one of you. So, as you know, we've been finishing up our exponential series, and it really has been an exponential month. That's going to be my phrase now. And Pastor Erica, she started off with week, week one talking about dreaming again, believing God for bigger things. Pastor Eric talk about, talked about in week two, prayer is the secret sauce. Not Chick-fil-A, prayer is the secret sauce. And then in week three, he talked about maintaining good spiritual habits in your life that will help you to grow and continue to go further with your walk with the Lord. And then in week four, Pastor Erica talked about the spiritual impact of togetherness. When we do things together in unity, God commands a blessing. So for this week... My title for today is Exponential Miracle. Exponential Miracle. Now, by a show of hands, how many of you here and online are waiting for an exponential miracle to happen in your life? How many of you don't like waiting? I agreed. How many of you feel like you've been waiting so long that you, you even wonder sometimes if it's even coming? Well, I'm here to tell you that you can continue to believe and walk in your miracle, even if you haven't seen it yet. So today I want to talk about, we're going to be spending a lot of time in John chapter 9. It's going to be like a little bit of like a Bible study, a little bit of like reflection. So stay with me. Just like Pastor Erica said last week, stay with me so we can get to all the points. And I'm going to go right into it. So when I think of an exponential miracle, I think of something so big that if you would have told somebody about it, they wouldn't believe you. For example, maybe like if you knew somebody who won the Mega Millions playing their first time. Or if you are a parent and you have a daughter and she just told you she's having quadruplets. Now, if I was a parent, I'd be so happy for her, but I think I'd have a heart attack for her. <laughs> Or let's say if you're having a nice walk by the Brighton Mill Pond and you stumble across an old ancient seal from one of the prophets in the Bible. Now, I don't know how likely that's going to happen, but you get my point. So as we go into this story, before we do, I want to take us a moment just to bow our heads and pray. Lord, thank you so much for this opportunity just to be able to share with church family and with those online. I pray that this word, Lord God, inside would penetrate every single heart, Lord, and that everybody in here and online would have something to receive from it. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so as we're going to the beginning of John chapter 9, I'll give you a little paraphrase. Take out your Bible or your tablets, whatever you use. So Jesus was with his disciples, and they were going for a walk, doing what they usually do, looking for looking for somebody to encourage, to bless. And then they see this blind man on the side of the road. And then the disciples started questioning. They started saying, Rabbi, who sinned in this man's life that he had to be blind? Was it him or was it his parents? 
And Jesus said to him, it was neither him nor his parents. It was so that the works of God can be revealed through him. And then he goes on further to say, I must work the works of him who sent me while it's day because the night is coming soon when there can be no work done. But as long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. So it's kind of funny. It's, it's, I kinda, it's hard for me not to think that Jesus didn't know that this blind man was going to be here at this exact time while they were walking up that way. So we can go to verse 6. And it says, when he said these things, he spat on the ground and made clay with saliva. And he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. And he said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. So that leads me to my first point. When God tells you to do something, don't get sidetracked. I'll say it again. When God tells you to do something, don't get sidetracked. So when I read this, at first I started to think, how peculiar is this? Jesus spat on the ground. He made clay. He rubbed the blind man's eyes. And then he told him to go wash in a pool that's called scent. Like, what is this, a spa day? Like, how does that happen? And if you think about it, how often do we do what strangers tell us to do? What was it about Jesus that this man decided to go do, let him put this clay on his eyes and told him to go into the pool? Like, like you would think it's kind of like a joke, right? Like, this guy has been blind for his whole life, and then Jesus comes along. Or how often do we do when God do something that God tells us to do? And we just put it off. I'll tell you what. I'll get, <laughs> my wife would send me to the store for five items, right? You would think, how long does it take to get five items to check in and check out? 20 minutes or so, right? Well, when I go to the store sometimes, it takes me like an hour. I'm talking to everybody. I'm going up and down the aisles. I'm looking at all the new inventory that they have. I'm thinking about new things I want to try. And then if you're like me, I love sales. If I see a clearance rack or if I see like a red tag, automatically in my brain, I'm like, oh, I'm going to get a good deal on this. It might not even be a good deal, but I think it's a good deal anyways. So look at the Israelites. The Israelites, they had a journey that was supposed to take them 11 days, but it took them 40 years. How do you do that? But this blind man had nothing to lose at, that, at this point. He said, I might as well go try it, right? So he went to that pool. He came out, and he started seeing. He got the miracle. Not just any miracle. It was an exponential miracle. So I'm going to tell you a story about a time when recently, when God told me to do something, and I didn't want to do it. <laughs> so a few months ago, I had a dream the dream was about an old friend that I went to middle school with. We were all grown up. We were adults now, right around this time. And I was on the phone with him. And he was just sharing with me a lot of trouble that he was going through. He was sharing with me that he was in a, had a, a large debt. And you can hear the, the pain in his voice. And I just talked to him, gave him advice, nothing, nothing special. But then when I woke up the next morning from that dream... The dream impressed upon me so much that God was telling me, 
Ian, you need to reach out to this guy. I know it's been like 10, 15 years, but you need to give him a call. And like I said, I didn't want to do it. Why, why did I not want to do it? Well, I have good relationships with a lot of my old friends, but a lot of them not so much. Because when I became a Christian, I had to let go of some friendships that were no good for me. And a lot of them, they did not fully understand. So I didn't know how this friend was going to react. I didn't know if his reaction towards me was going to be negative, And I just didn't want to deal with it. I didn't want to put myself in a vulnerable situation like that. But so time went by. I put every excuse in the book. I'm working. I'm doing ministry. I'm busy. But then a few weeks ago, I woke up in the morning, and I could not, and I could not shake it anymore. God said, you need to call him today, and you need to talk to him and tell him. So I did it that evening, and the conversation went great. I told him about God. I told him that God put this dream on my heart because he's calling you. You need to have a relationship with him. Now, we got off the phone. Everything was good. I don't know what he's going to do with that, with that call. But I do know that I did what God told me to do. So I encourage you. Is there something in your life that God is telling you to do? Maybe it's to reach out to an old friend or family member or husbands. If you're here, maybe it's time to clean out that garage that your wife has been telling you to for months. Whatever it is, don't put it off. Amen? So after the blind man started being able to see, he started going into town. He started telling everybody. And everybody that saw him, they were like, wait a minute. Aren't you the guy on the side of the road? No, that just looks like him. They couldn't believe it. So what did they do? They brought him to the Pharisees. The Pharisees were like the religious leaders of the day. And that leads me to my next point. Believe even when others doubt. Believe even when others doubt. So when the Pharisees saw this man who could not see, and now he can see, they questioned the miracle that happened. They didn't believe it. They were like, they were, started, they, were, they were fighting against themselves, like, oh, this Jesus, he's a sinner. How could he do that? But if, it, but if he was not a sinner, how would he be able to open up the eyes of this blind man? You would think that the Pharisees would have been so happy for this man who was blind his whole life, and now he was able to see, but they couldn't even accept it just because of the fact that Jesus did it. And why did they not like Jesus so much? So here, I want to give you guys a quick paragraph of who the Pharisees were. So here at Alive, we just finished reading a book called Ex, um, Empowering Leadership. And here's one of the paragraphs of what it says about the Pharisees. The scribes and the Pharisees of the first century were people of position. And because of that, they had power. They occupied roles that allowed them to establish the spiritual climate and set the religious agenda of the nation. They were in positions of authority. Jesus, on the other hand, had no official position in Israel. He was called rabbi, which means teacher, only because he had a following. His authority came from who he was as a person. Remember, the vast majority of the people had no idea he was the second person in the Trinity, but they could tell that he had power, he had authority. So, as you can see, these Pharisees thought they were it. Everybody came to them for any spiritual matter and they were looking for a messiah too but 
they expected this lavish looking Messiah. They expected one that would come from like a, a royalty and that be well dressed and that was a warrior. They didn't expect this Messiah to be Jesus who was born in a stable. They couldn't even see the miracle that he did because it was beneath them. And on top of that, his followers were fishermen. Fishermen were like on the lower end of the totem pole back in the day. They expected him to have an entourage. So then what did they do? They started calling the parents. They said, bring in the parents because we don't believe that this guy really can see from Jesus. So then once they spoke to the parents, they asked them, is this your son? Was he born blind? If so, how can he now see? His parents replied, we know this is our son and that he was born blind, but we don't know how he can see or who healed him. Ask him. He's old enough to speak for himself. So look at that. They just started charging at the parents. Is this your son? Was he born blind? Are you sure of it? Or did he just have an excuse to beg, right? Well, let me tell you, people make careers out of begging, especially from New York, where I'm from. I was reading an article in um, the New York Post about this man who used to stand right outside uh, Grand Central Station, 42nd Street. Kathleen and I used to work around there. A lot of people did. They came in from Connecticut. They came in from all over, upstate New York, just to work in Grand Central. And this man would make up to $200 an hour on a Friday and more than one hour just by people giving him money. He literally stand, he stood on the corner as a beggar. He had a cute little dog named Rizzo, a little pooch that everybody just loved. Sounds like a pretty good side hustle, doesn't it? So I also read, going back to the parents, I read in a commentary that these parents were poor and they were scared. And that's exactly what the Pharisees were banking on. Because they knew that anybody who accepted this Jesus would be casted out of the synagogue. And the synagogue back in that time was everybody's life. That's where everybody gathered together. That's where everybody met old time friends. They made connections, business connections. They interacted with one another. Imagine if they would have been casted out of the synagogue. They would have lost those connections that they had. And they were poor, so they needed those connections going into the market so that they, they can get better prices. You had to be really gutsy in order to basically say that this man was Jesus. So what did they do? They passed the buck on to their child. They said, he's old enough. Ask him. So they could take the pressure off of themselves and put it on to the child. But this young man was bold. He didn't care who they were or what they represented. He knew that he just received a miracle, an exponential miracle. There was nothing that they can say in his mind that can make him doubt what just happened. He was now a believer. So for the next verse, the next few verses, it says, so for the second time, they called in the man who had been blind and told them, God should get the glory for this because we know that this man, Jesus, is a sinner. I don't know whether he's a sinner or not, the man replied, but I know this. I was blind and now I can see. But what did he do, they asked. How did he heal you? Look, the man exclaimed, I told you once. Didn't you listen? Why, do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? 
Then they cursed him and said, you are his disciple, but we're Moses' disciples. We know God spoke to Moses, but we don't even know where this man comes from. He didn't even want to argue with them. Again, that's what they wanted to do. They wanted to keep arguing. You know why? Because they wanted him to trip up his story. They wanted him to doubt the fact that he could have possibly received a miracle from Jesus. So look what he says after this. I love this. In verse 30, he says, why, that's very strange, the man replied. He healed my eyes, and yet you don't know where he comes from. We know that God doesn't listen to sinners, but he's ready to hear those who worship him and do his will. Ever since the world began, no one has ever been able to open the eyes of someone born blind. If this man were not from God, he couldn't have done it. Wow. Mic drop. Message is over. We can all go home now. Did you hear what he just said? He said, how strange is it that you of all people, the Pharisees, with your knowledge and your intellect, and as much as you study the word, can't even believe that this is the son of God. Isn't the fact that I was once blind, but now I can see even convince you? But at that point, they had, they had not even wanted to bother with him anymore. They were so infuriated by his bold claims that they cut him off. They casted him out of the synagogue. So when I read this story, it kind of reminds me of even our own life, even being a believer. People you know, they're not going to get it. They're not going to understand what you believe. They're going to think you're, you're ridiculous for believing what you believe. But I tell you what, you keep believing. You keep praising him. You keep worshiping him. And you keep praying for your friends and your family members. And watch that exponential miracle come to pass. So, that you know, Jesus actually healed a lot of people who, who was blind. And, not, and now they could see. I'm going to give you one more quick example in Matthew 9, 27, 29. Really quick. After Jesus left the girl's home, two blind men followed along behind him, shouting, Son of David, have mercy on us. They went right into the house where he was staying, and Jesus asked them, Do you believe that I can make you see? Yes, Lord, they told them. We do. Then he touched their eyes and said, Because of your faith, it will happen. What's the key word in there? Do you believe that I can make you see? So if God can do this, in these three blind men's lives, how much more can he do in your life if you would simply believe? Now, I know we just spent 21 days praying and fasting, and I'm, sh and I'm sure that you guys got a lot of insight and revelation from God, and he spoke a lot of things to you. But I want to recap everything that we just spoke about. In, the, in these last couple of points. Before I get to the third point, I just want to remind you. First point was when God tells you to do something, do not get sidetracked. Second point is believe even when others doubt. So how do we continue to walk in this miracle? How do we continue to believe God for the miracle? My third point is continuing in the miracle. Continuing in the miracle. So again, this blind man didn't care that he was no longer welcome in the synagogue. He can now see. 
His life was forever changed. He is now a believer. Everybody who sees him, he's going to be a testimony. Everybody in the marketplace, they're going to they're be like, wow, look at you. That's amazing. So why would we want to stop what God just did these last 21 days and limit what he has for us or for you right down the line? First thing that we can do to continue in the miracle, Joshua 1.8 says, Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Let the word be your focus. Meditate on the word. Sit on it, and then you're going to start to love it. It's going to start to change your mind. You're not going to think the same way. You're going to start to apply what you see in the word. You're going to start to have joy and peace more, more, than, more than others do. Next scripture says, John 15, 5. Yes, I am the vine. You are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. From apart from me, you can do nothing. So as you stay connected to the vine, it'll be impossible to miss him. He's going to be everywhere that you go. You just continue to draw and feed from him spiritually. When, when you're stressed out, you pray. You look for God. When you're anxious, you pray. You look for God. You're going to start to gain authority. People, so much so that people that know you, they might not say anything, but they're going to say, you know what? So-and-so is different. Something about them. And that's simply because you've just been spending time with God. So as we, want, as we want to continue the work that God is doing, we don't want to get lazy with our spiritual walk. You want God to continue to move in your heart. You don't want to do this thing for 21 days, and then you go right back to living your same old ways. I'll give you an example. I'll be honest. So I know Pastor Eric is not here today, but I think he'd be very disappointed in me if I didn't talk about food. Amen. <laughs> so just like Pastor Eric, I love to eat. And when we do fast like this, there have been times, especially Daniel fast, where you can only have fruits and vegetables and certain foods you can't eat. There have been times that I get so crazy about the fast. I start looking in, in the store, like on the labels, making sure I'm, every single ingredient is accepted. I basically can't eat 75% of the store and I'm upset about it. But then... When the fast is over, I start eating everything in sight that I was thinking about those past few days. I don't recommend you do that. When you break your fast, you want to do it slowly so that your body can catch up to it. Amen? Also, I might go to the gym, for example. I'll go to the gym, and I'll work out so hard, like I'm back in college. I'll start hurting. I'll start sweating. And then I'll go home to freshen up, and I'll open up the fridge. And I'll see a cheesecake, and I'll say, thank you, Lord. <laughs> so I don't recommend you do that either. What's the point of working out, right? So Proverbs 12.24 says, the hand of the diligent will rule, while the slothful will be put to forced labor. The hand of the diligent will rule. Those who work hard, those who stay disciplined, those are going to be the ones that are going to get the increases at work. Those are going to be the ones that are going to get the manager positions. Those are going to be the ones that open up their own businesses. Those who complain about working and being disciplined, those are the ones that are going to be forced to do work that they don't like to do. Craig Groeschel had an awesome quote. 
He said, successful people do continually what others do occasionally. So what am I saying with this? Continue to make it a habit of praying and reading and seeking the Lord. And you'll continue to see the promises that he has for you come to pass. Now, you, you might be here and you might be saying, Ian, um, but I did pray and I did fast. And I didn't see a miracle. I didn't, I didn't see much, to be honest. Does that mean that it's not on its way? Does that mean that it's not on its way? Does that mean that God is not continually working? You know, a lot of people in the Bible, they had to wait a long time. I'll give you an example. Sarah and Abraham. God told Sarah and Abraham in Genesis that they were going to have a child. And they were older. And they didn't believe it. Actually, Sarah, she laughed. And God said, but Sarah, why did you laugh? And she was so embarrassed. She said, but God, I didn't laugh. He said, no, you did laugh. <laughs> so, then, so then they ended up having a child named Isaac. And Isaac's name is Laughter, which is kind of funny. So then Isaac grew up. And he, was, and he wanted to get married. And he had to wait 14 years for him to have his wife, Rebecca. And he had to work for her father for those 14 years. And then not only that, take it a step further, after they got married, Rebecca was unable to have children. So it says in Genesis 25, 21, that Isaac pleaded with the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was unable to have children. The Lord answered Isaac's prayer and Rebecca became pregnant with twins. How long did they have to wait for that miracle to happen? 20 years. So those of you that are waiting, every day that you do not give up, every day that you, you choose to press in, even if it's hard, you are closer to your pool moment, just like the blind man. You are closer to that miracle coming to pass. Now, I'm not going to lie to you. Submitting to Jesus is costly. That means you, you're going to have to give up certain things you might or certain old character ways. Now, I'm not saying for you to throw out that new LED smart TV that you got for Christmas. I'm not saying that. I'm talking about the things that have you, that have your heart. Maybe it is TV. Maybe it's unforgiveness. Maybe it's pride. Maybe it's a certain lifestyle or status that you're trying to maintain, and it's exhausting. I'm here to tell you that when you choose to trust in Jesus, he has things for you that you can't even imagine. Like even my wife and I, when we became believers, we had the opportunity to travel all over the world to do the things of God. Places we would have never even thought of going to or that we never even knew existed. Only God can do something like that. So as we come towards the end of our time today, I would fail you if I didn't tell you out of all these miracles that we mentioned, the greatest miracle that you can receive is a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, you might be new here today. You might not have understood all of the terms that I said and a lot of things in this chapter, but that's okay. I want to give you a chance to respond to what you heard today. Now, I'm not going to do anything scary or call you up. It's basically this in a snapshot. God loved us so much 
that he sent his one and only son to die for our sins so that we can have a chance of eternal life. Isn't that nice? We don't even deserve it. Yet he did it because he didn't want us to be without him. So if something in this message touched you in a certain way, I'm going to ask everybody to bow their heads and to close their eyes. Now, if that's you and you want to have a relationship with Jesus, you want to know more about what it means to walk in these miracles, I'm going to ask you to slip up your hand right now while nobody is looking. Amen. I see that hand. Now, if we can all say a short prayer, repeat after me. Heavenly Father, thank you for your son, Jesus. I receive him as my Lord and Savior. Jesus, come into my heart, change my life, and help me live a life that's pleasing to you. Amen. Amen. Can we give God a round of applause today? Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. To further connect with us at Alive, visit us at alivefamily.church. And remember, people matter and Jesus is alive.